0: Hello, and welcome to The Takeaway, where we teach through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse to help you understand God's Word so that you can have a more intimate relationship with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. welcome again to The Takeaway. I'm your host, Pastor Harry Behrens, and on today's episode, we would be looking at Revelations chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Big question today that we want to ask ourselves is, do you ever take time to be silent before the Lord, to just be still, to hear His voice, to be calm? Um, We live in such a noisy world. It's just noise everywhere, whether it's just noise from people around us, the environment. It could be the wind blowing, the animals making noise, birds chirping, Um, just the noise of society, the noise of TV, the noise of just everything. There's constant noise and taking time to be silent and how important that is. I mean, we always ask, why doesn't God ever speak to me? Well, maybe it's because we don't ever shut up long enough to actually hear the Lord speak to us. Um, I could personally tell you uh, every time that God has ever spoken to me, I had silence, but the silence that I had was an internal silence. It wasn't, I can't shut my environment up all the time, but I could put myself in a quiet environment to a certain extent. But to really be before the Lord, to hear him speak to you, first, you have to have a repentant. Uh, spirit you have to be repentant of the things that you've done um, and you have to pursue him and silence is an internal it's an internal silence and that's when God tends to speak we're gonna be looking at that today as we go through this is because some really interesting things that uh, we see in these first five verses of chapter 8 and uh, we're gonna look deeper into this and explain it and I want you to just ponder that question and think about what that means to you to be silent before the Lord as we read through this scripture so let's get started as we look at verse uh just verse one right now it says when the lamb opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour so we want to pause right here just for a second because we're seeing the seventh seal open and if you remember the previous six seals that were being opened jesus is opening the scroll and there's seven seals that hold it together and the first six seals were not god's wrath right you could you can in a say say they were god's judgment starting um but essentially what he's doing is he withdrew himself if you remember prior to him even opening the seals right the um he he removes his spirit from the world he removes the restrainer the restrainer would be removed so that the uh, antichrist could be revealed and what you have in that moment right the church is removed the spirit of god is removed in the sense of that The Holy Spirit isn't gone from the earth. He's just not restraining evil anymore. So he withdraws from restraining evil. And not only do you have demonic evil taking place on this earth, you have the evil of man, right? And the thoughts of man are evil continuously. Uh, We see that back in Genesis um, prior to the flood and God just judged the world then. And he said, man, the thoughts... Of man the heart of man is evil continuously so you have the first six seals are just man being evil and just the destruction and everything coming upon the world is what we're essentially doing to ourselves uh, without the Holy Spirit restraining so now we're into the seventh seal and as he opens the seventh seal you have to remember that the next judgments to come the seven trumpets and the seven bowls are in the seventh seal Right. So the completion, like this is now God's judgment, God's wrath is about to come. But right before the trumpets blow and God's wrath begins, we're seeing like this pause and we're getting ready to come out of this. So last week we talked about in chapter seven, the 144,000 being sealed. The church is you know, long gone at this point, but the God is taking his chosen and he's sealing them so that his wrath will not fall upon them and they have a purpose. Um, but the end of this pause is right here in chapter eight. And when he opens the seven seals, heaven gets silent and, and it, for a half an hour. I mean, if you ever stopped just to be quiet for a minute, even in a room full of people, you ever hear a speaker speak and then all of a sudden he gets silent Even for a few seconds. It can get awkward. Um, we're talking about a half an hour. It's like, what happened? Heaven is not meant to be a quiet place. Heaven is a loud place, a place of worship, um, praising God. There's just so much going on and multitudes and multitudes of people. And then all of a sudden, all that just stops. and It's just dead silence, quiet, not even silence like we could have here on earth. but I'm talking about heavenly spiritual silence. Like just think of like dead silence. There's nothing. No air moving, no music playing, nothing, just dead silence. And they're just taking in what is about to happen. And what is it that is about to happen? Well, let's look into that, right? So first we see the number seven again, indicating completion. And it's important for us to see this because the number seven appears many, many, many times in Revelation. And the number seven in Hebrew uh, has the same consonants as the word for completeness or wholeness. In Genesis one seven develops two key symbolic associations. One of them is that through uh, seven all uh, <laughs> one of them is that one through seven altogether is a symbol of completeness. Uh, so the scroll is entirely open at this point. God's judgment is about to come. We're going to see seven trumpets, seven bowls, meaning his his judgment is full and complete. Uh, so what does the silence indicate? Well, there's a few possible. Uh, possibilities here. One, the silence in heaven uh, for the space of half an hour is a sign of deep respect and awe in the presence of the judge of all the earth. Just as earthly courtrooms demand silence when the judge is presiding, so does the heavenly courtroom. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. Zephaniah 1.7. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk 2.20. The second, Is the half hour of silence in heaven is the result of somber reflection on what has just been revealed. They're just taking it in and just in awe of it and just can't believe it. The third is the silence in heaven is due to the severity of the actions that Lord God is about to take. Or it could just be all of them, right? It could be all of this. Uh, Obviously, it's an impactful type thing um, that is about to take place. In a way, the silence in heaven could be seen as the calm before the storm, the storm of final judgment coming upon the earth. The silence emphasizes the importance and impressiveness of the seventh and final seal. With the opening of the seventh seal comes a climax in the day of the Lord. Evil has had its day. Now the Lord will have his. you remember, he let evil run rampant, but now he's stepping in and God is going to have his way in the midst of this and his wrath is going to come. So again, as you see this silence, the silence is about what God is doing, what God is about to bring. And we're going to read a little bit about that here in a second. But I would encourage you again that, you know, are we ever in awe of God enough to just be silent before him? And the importance of that, the take in what God has done to be in awe should put you in a place of just silence, like awe of God is a sense of like, I don't even know how to respond to this. You know, of just overwhelming impressiveness of God and silence being the only thing that you can do. Um, So take that into consideration and evaluate yourself. I would encourage you to find that place where you evaluate what God is doing in your life and be silent before the Lord. Allow him to speak into your life. Um, So now let's move into verses two through five. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings, lightning, and an earthquake. There's a lot going on there. So the trumpets were given to the angels that were before God. And again, we see the number seven. You know, we're going to continue to see that a lot. Um, This is the last bit of preparation before God's judgment comes. Because the next thing we're going to see is the first trumpet blow. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're not going to get into that this week. Uh, We're just looking at the last bit of the preparation that's going on here. But something that is extremely interesting that I really want you to take away from this. Is the prayers of the Saints you know how many times in your life have you prayed for evil to be removed have you prayed for evil to be dealt with whether it was something somebody was doing to you or something that you saw taking place or things that we see taking place in the world and we ask why isn't God doing anything about this if he's God of love why does he allow this to happen what is it about God that he continues to allow these things to take place in this world Well. I think the answer is is kind of found right here, right, is that God is going to answer these prayers. And that's what this this is what's taking place right here. The prayers of the saints are going up before the Lord. Right. The angel has them with the incense and he takes the fire from the altar, which is the presence of God, the judgment of God. And he is that the idea here is he's not dropping this to earth, but he's wailing this to earth like you just slamming this to earth like he's taking the prayers of the saints. And this is the judgment or the evidence against the world. Right. To condemn them when when they say, well, what is the proof that you have that we are this evil people? Well, here it is. You have martyred. My people. You have killed my people. You have done this. This is the prayers of the saints that have rose up before me that have for the things that you have done to them. You know, you think of all the things that have happened in this world where churches have been shut down, where where pastors have been silenced, uh, where people have been martyred, uh just all these horrendous things that have come against the church. Well, these prayers that have went up before the Lord and it seems like he never answered them. Well, you have to remember one thing. God is just and true. And for him to answer our prayers, right, sometimes would mean complete and utter judgment against the world. Like he can't just do what we think he should do. Right? He can't just deal with the individual the way we think he should deal with the individual. God has to deal wholly with the heart, with the evil, with the with the uh, corruption of mankind. And you have to think about the ripple effect. You think about that boss who is evil or treats you bad, right? And you think, God, do something about this guy. And it seems like God doesn't do anything. And in God's perspective, to do something about that, he has to deal with the heart. He has to deal with the the the, the starting point of that evil, which means he might have to deal with his boss and his boss's boss. Or he has to deal with family members. Members. He has to deal with the system. He has to deal with the cause, the thing that is causing the evil to run rampant in the first place. So it, what our prayers, what we're asking for is such a lofty and big thing. But this is going to be the answer to that prayer. Why we don't see that today is because God first is going to bring full judgment here. But what God desires today is grace. He desires grace. He desires not for us to pray judgment against our enemies. He desires for us to pray for salvation for our enemies because judgment is coming. We don't want to see them enter into judgment. We deserve it as much as they do. We used to be in that place of pouring out evil on the world uh, because whether it was through our selfishness or whatever it was, whether we truly did evil things or we were just about ourselves. But if we aren't about God, you know, we're we're not about, uh, we're, we're about bad things. So you know, essentially we're just not going to do good things in this world. So what we need to pray is grace. We need to pray for salvation for our enemy, right? We don't want to see judgment come upon them. That's the point. But for those um, of you that have prayed, and we've all prayed this about evil to be restrained, to be taken away or whatever it is, here's the answer to your prayers. Here it comes. God is going to deal with it fully and completely. All of it. These prayers are going to be answered. And our prayers are, are the evidence for the just judgment that God is going to bring. Like he's going to use that against the world. And that's what he's throwing down. And he's saying these prayers are being answered. I'm going to deal with this right now. And here's the answer to your prayers is my full and complete judgment. And it's a witness against those who have done evil. So I hope that helps in understanding that your prayers are not wasted. In fact, our prayers that seem not to be answered are actually being added to the evidence against this world. Um, But our motive, first and foremost, is one, be careful what you ask for, because that's the power of your prayer. There's great power in your prayer, whether you believe it or not. The second is, instead of praying for judgment or for God to deal with the evil, pray that God bring salvation to those who are living in the world. Just like he brought to us. That should be our desire. That should be what we want. And that's what I'm asking you to consider in your prayers. Pray for salvation. Pray grace over people. Because God's judgment will be full and it will be complete when it comes. So now the fire from the altar. Like I said before, um, the fire indicates uh, God's presence. It indicates uh, purity, like judgment. Um, In fact, what I want to do is look back at Leviticus 6.13. And back in Leviticus, um, the fire of the altar, God started this. But let me read this for you. And Leviticus mentioned several times that the fire in the altar was to burn continuously. God wanted a perpetual fire there, and he must have had a reason for it. Before the giving of the law, God appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush... That though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And this is in Exodus 3.2. God chose the appearance of a continuous fire when calling Moses to lead the people out of Egypt to a new land. Later, when God was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, he appeared as a pillar of fire at night. And this is in Exodus 13.21-22. Then came the law. Outside the tabernacle, the fire of the burnt offering was commanded to be kept burning. Never was it to be extinguished. In Leviticus 6.13 instructs the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously it must not go out this is mentioned three times in this chapter verses 9 12 and 13 one reason the ongoing fire was so important is that it was started directly by God fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consuming the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar and when all the people saw it they shouted for joy and fell face down Leviticus 9 24 the fire on the altar, therefore, served as a constant reminder of God's power. It was a gift from heaven. No other source of fire was acceptable to God. You can see this in Numbers 3, 4. The, fir- the fire also represented God's presence. God is a consuming fire, Deuteronomy 4:24. The Shekinah glory was visible in the fire in the altar of burnt offering. The ongoing presence of God reminded the Israelites that salvation is of the Lord. The atonement made at the burnt offering could only be made through him. In the New Testament, John the Baptist predicted that the Messiah Messiah would baptize with the Spirit and with fire, Matthew 3.11, Luke 3.16. Fire served as a sign of judgment and refining, but it also reminds us of the Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost in the form of tongues of fire, Acts 2.3. The continuously burning divine fire at the altar of burnt offering helped remind Israelites of the reality of God's presence and of their need for God. The sacred fire endured throughout the 40 years in the desert and likely beyond that as tabernacle worship continued until the time of King Solomon and the building of the Jewish temple. When the temple was dedicated, God once again lit the fire on the altar, 2 Chronicles 7.1. So now we know what the fire on the altar is all about. And you have to remember when you go back into the Old Testament with the tabernacle, the altar and all these things that took place, they were a representation of something in heaven. Um, God was very specific how things were to be built, how things were to be done, what they were to look like, how they were to be handled. Very, very specific. And that was all because it was holy in the sense that it it resembled something in heaven um, here on earth. So all of it was purposeful. And yet again, we see something in heaven and what took place on earth so we could better understand what it is that's taking place here. So God's purity, His judgment, His presence is all taking place. It's being added to the prayers. it's being thrown to the earth and God is dealing and He's judging with fire. So you have to understand as we, again, as we uh, cap this off, next week we're going to be going into the trumpets and we're going be dealing with the first um, trumpets uh, as they go off in the judgment and God's wrath that comes upon the earth. And this is the end of the preparation and par- preparing of that. We are prepared. God has sealed His people. He has thrown the evidence uh, uh, of the prayers of the saints to the earth as uh, to for judgment and say this is now um, going to be dealt with. Their prayers are going to be answered. And um, and of course, the silence in heaven, the awe that they have of what is about to take place. We can't imagine this. This is God's wrath. This is like all of human history has been waiting for this moment. For God to deal with evil, to bring an end to, to sin, to redeem Israel as a nation back to himself. He's going to do all these things to set up a kingdom for himself on earth. Like Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years as we're going to see as we come to the end of this book. This is, this is it. We are now going to see the great tribulation take place. We're in the tribulation, but now we're going to go into the great tribulation, the wrath of God. So again, as we close, keep those who do evil in your prayers that God's grace would pour out on them for salvation. That just like Paul, the apostle, who was martyring and killing the saints, met Jesus on the road to Damascus and was immediately and utterly changed and became one of the most known apostles in the New Testament. He wrote the majority of the New Testament, but it wasn't for that change in his heart. A guy who was killing believers, he calls himself the greatest of all sinners, because he knows what he did. And God used him extremely powerful. Think about your enemies who hate God right now. That if they were to get saved, the transformation. It's, a, it's, a, it's amazing that the more somebody rebels against God, that when they're saved, the more on fire for the Lord they seem to be. And I think it's because they recognize more so than most what they've been saved from. Paul understood that. He, he didn't deserve what he received to be an apostle. Like he didn't deserve that. He knew he didn't deserve that. But none of us deserve what we're given. We don't deserve this. We all deserve this judgment, this wrath of God to come upon us. We don't deserve God's love the way we receive it. But yet God loves us to this extent. So let's pray and pray for those. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we could be in awe of you, to be silent before you, to hear you, to be a witness unto you. Father, I pray for all those who don't know you still, who are still selfish in the world, who are still committing evil in the world. God, we pray for their salvation. I pray for the saints that are still within this world that are hearing this message, God, that you would anoint them and empower them to share your word and to pray powerfully for those who are committing evil within this world, who are martyring the saints and and persecuting the saints, God, who are persecuting your church, your bride. You can't let your bride continue to be attacked like you are going to defend her. And we are her. So, God, we love you and we thank you. And I pray blessings over everybody listening to this message. If you are one of those people who have not yet accepted the Lord, accept him today. Ask him to come into your heart and you will be saved and you will be part of the bride of Jesus. We pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for joining today. I hope today's message was helpful. And next week, again, we will be looking at the seven trumpets and discussing the wrath of God and what all that will look like. So thank you and God bless.